Welcome to Church Online. If you are joining us live, then uh, we are delighted that you have taken time this weekend to do that. If you're listening or watching sometime in the week, that's fantastic too. This is what's going to happen over the next little while. Uh, we're going to join our Rutland Campus 33 in some worship in just a few minutes. I'm very excited that we're able to do that every week. And then we're going to have a message, got our family news. And of course, you've got an opportunity to give to the work of Willow Park Church that makes this possible. So we've got lots of different ways that you can get involved. But our prayer is that this weekend and this week or any time you're watching this, that you'll really feel and sense the presence of God and also hear from God. And as we jump into the word, we really want to see lives transformed by Jesus Christ in the Okanagan Valley. So bless you for joining us. And we pray that you have a wonderful time in the presence of God. Take care. Oh, my day. 
prodigals will be saved and that's what we're believing for for the next 21 days God please move we can do nothing apart from you we need you Jesus amen we need Jesus to come into our lives into our city into our families our friends we need him to save so as we sing this this song tis so sweet let's just trust in Jesus trust that he has forgiven us of our sins Trust that we are free from condemnation, free from guilt and shame, and we can live in freedom. Let's sing this out together.
Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove to more endure. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him. Sing that again. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove to more endure. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more.
Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that as we enter 2022, we want to learn to trust you more, Lord Jesus. We want to learn to be your children, to follow you, to have our identity completely and absolutely rooted in you, Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray for every family and every individual and every person that has gathered here this morning. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we enter January, as we enter 2022, as we enter this new year, we declare over 2022 that Jesus Christ is Lord. We declare that the gospel is the answer for the world today. We declare that Jesus is the line of the tribe of Judah, that he is the good shepherd, that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. We declare God's favour and God's blessing over his people. And Lord, we pray for the unity of the saints and that as a people, we may know, know your love and your presence surrounding us, we ask. Meet with us, Lord, I pray, as we begin this 21 days of prayer. Meet with us, Lord, as we begin this period of devotion to you. Meet with us, Lord, as congregations, as we set this side. Hello, my name is Louisa, and I'm the executive assistant here at Willow Park Church. Here is your family news for this week. Our 21 days of prayer begins tomorrow. We will be spending the rest of the month of January seeking the Lord for our families, our church, and our communities. There are many opportunities for us to gather as a church family to pray together, including an online prayer time every weekday at 7 a.m. On Wednesdays, we also have a prayer gathering at our Rutland location from 9.30 to 11 a.m. And don't forget to sign up on our website for our daily email prayer devotional, which will start tomorrow morning. Kids Club, our midweek program for kids in grades kindergarten to five, starts this week at both our Rutland and Mission locations. Registration is now open online. Most of our regular programs for kids, youth, and adults are starting this week, and you can find out all of the details on our website or by subscribing to our weekly email. Finally, our upcoming Senior High Winter Retreat for Youth in grades 9 to 12 is happening at Pines Bible Camp on February 18th to 20th. Learn more and sign up today at cahoots.ca slash arctic. That's all for our family news. Have a wonderful week. Okay, so this is the part of our service where we encourage you to really prayerfully consider how you can contribute to the life and the work of Willow Park Church. What we're doing right now online in our online church and our online ministry is made possible by people being generous, just like you, following the command of scripture in the New Testament, which talks about giving cheerfully. It talks about giving generously, sacrificially. It's kind of got a pinch and also regularly. And so if you are not doing that yet, can, can I just humbly ask you to prayerfully consider how you can give to this incredible work 
as we, we look for ways that we can serve Jesus in our province, in our city, and around the world. So here are a few different ways that you can do that. You can do it online or whether it be regular each month and we can answer any questions you might have about that. But thank you for making this possible. Thank you for the ways that you just, it's, it's humbling how people have continued to give in these really uncertain times. You're amazing. God bless. On chapter 6, starting at verse 60. Many of his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, Does this offend you? Tell what you think if you see the Son of Man. Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing, and the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, good morning, everybody. I haven't introduced myself yet. My name's Glenn. And, uh, oh, your face mask? I've got no idea, mate. Don't breathe. Everybody lean away as he walks down there. Um, I'm going to ask a strange request of one of the team. Could one, one of the team move that Christmas tree? Because I think it might be in the way of... Uh, oh, I didn't mean my wife, but bless her. Well, welcome everybody online if you are joining us. I know many of you are, uh, given the current circumstances we find ourselves. Uh, we have a little bit of an entertainment going on right now. Oh, I just found your face mask, Aaron. Thank you, love. That's amazing. Um, yes, many of you are joining us online, and, uh, and we have a, a great crowd here this morning as well. Just to remind you, we are keeping to our mandate of 50% of the whole room capacity, and please, I encourage you to keep your masks on, uh, even when I am preaching, and uh, that, would be, uh, that would be really, really Great. So we're starting a new series uh, this week, uh, and I want to jump in by giving a bit of an introduction to it. It's called Rhythms, and it's very much part of our 21 days of prayer. Uh, what we want to do over the next four weeks is to uh, just to give you some areas in your life that you can practice that will enable you to really tangibly feel the presence of God uh, and, uh, and also enjoy your prayer life. Uh, before we get that, I just want to go back to us for a second to that final scripture. Can you just put that last uh, Simon Peter at the verse 68 back up there? I just want us to just focus in on some words here uh, where Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Can we all say that together? The, the Lord, to whom shall we go? Everybody, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
I want that to resonate in your mind as I'm sharing with you this morning. I'm going to keep on asking that question. Normally, uh, it's our practice to go through a scripture bit by bit. We're all about Jesus. We're all about the Bible, and we want to uh, share and teach from the Bible. Uh, This morning, we're going to go about it a little bit more topically. I am definitely rooted in this scripture, and we'll be coming back to it in a second. But those words, to whom uh, should we go... It turns into a question, to whom do you go? To whom do you go? Um, Just to help you as we get into this new series, I am going to be putting on social media uh, a bit of a reading list. I know many of you are really keen to to know, especially some of the books that I'm reading or the team are reading, Um, then we want to make sure that we provide you with this resource. And so the, the place you need to go to is our Instagram page, uh, oh, there we go, um, which is WP South. If you're not on Instagram, or worse, not following the South Instagram page, shame on you, um, then please go there, not now. Actually, no, that's fine. You can go there now, follow. If I see some of the heads go down, it's just if the heads continue to go down and stay down. That's the key. But WP South, uh, and Jenny especially, does a brilliant job of keeping this page really alive and very in keeping with what's going on in the church. So you want to follow that anyway. But this week, we're going to post a reading list uh, for your pleasure to be able to jump into some of the things that I'm going to be touching on. And what you're going to see in that reading list is uh, where I am getting much of my kind of dwelling and thinking and researching as we, as we jump into this, uh, this really short but important uh, series. Uh, speaking of Instagram, it's quite interesting when you look over the last few decades when it comes to marketing. I used to run a marketing business, and so it was something that uh, was really intriguing. It's amazing. When it comes to marketing, it's all about tapping into someone's emotions. So if you want to sell a hot tub, you have to tap into somebody's emotions. Uh, full disclosure, my wife and I have been looking at buying a hot tub over the last uh, few months. In fact, we've been thinking about for a few years. To give you some warning, uh, clearly we don't hear the word of the God very clearly because if we'd bought it three years ago, it would almost be 50% cheaper than it is today. Uh, But here's the thing that I notice when it comes to hot tubs. Uh, You go into a hot tub showroom and it's just filled with tubs, as you would expect. And then a very eager and uh, well-educated in hot tubs person comes over and they say, well, here's, here's a tub that you fill with water. It gets hot. We add bubbles to it, and it's going to cost you $10,000. Here's another one, another tub that you fill with water. You heat up, you add bubbles to it. That one's going to cost you $12,000. Here's another hot tub. This one's a little bit bigger, so you can put more water in it, add even more heat and bubbles to it. This one's going to cost you $20,000. And it just went on and on. I'm like, at the end of the day, we're buying a hole that you put water in and you heat it up and you add bubbles to it. It sounds so simple and yet it's really not. It's interesting when you look at the marketing of hot tubs. They don't go about it by going, hey, why don't you buy a hole to put in your yard, put water in it, warm it up and put bubbles in it. Who wants one? They don't do that, do they? What they do is they sell you the lifestyle. Look at how good you look sat in this thing. 
lounging with your loved ones. Oh, we have such fantastic times. Laughing, deep conversation, glass of wine, beautifully lit. Marriages come alive. Relationships with children are cemented for generation upon generation. And I'm like, I'm sold. Absolutely. I want one. It's all about emotions. We're suckers for marketing. And our culture knows it. We know it. In the 1970s, every individual person, on average, they reckon, saw between 500 and 1,600 advertisements every day. That's in the 70s. That's when I grew up. I was, I was born in the early 70s. Not too early, but in the early 70s. Um, between 500 and 1,600 ads per day. 2007, the average person saw up to 5,000 ads per day. In 2021, that number now has grown to between, on average, 6,000 and 10,000 advertisements every day. Now, you're sat there going, mm-mm, not me. Nope. I am clearly not average, as my wife keeps telling me. I, uh, that's not me. No way. 6,000? No chance. You've got $65 billion being earned by Google in the first three months of 2021 by you not looking at advertisements. That's just in the first quarter, $65 billion. So you've got search ads, you've got in-app ads, you've got video ads, you've got streaming ads, you've got social media ads, you've got email ads, you've got banner ads, you've got in-game ads, and then you've got the, my favorite, the product placement. Do you remember Wayne's World? How many of you know I'm talking about with Wayne's World? You remember the product placement fund that was just so funny? You know, it's like, yes, I do recommend spring water from Western Family. And then they took a drink of it. That product placement where you just even subliminally are picking up products. You've watched a show and gone, that's a really nice coffee maker. I'm going to research which coffee maker that is. All that that I just shared with you is before you leave your house. Some of it before you've left your bed. For some of you, not looking at anyone, before you've left your house. It's part of a cultural narrative that we have. A small section of our cultural narrative that we live in every day. This cultural narrative really is so profoundly important in our lives that we don't even notice that we're absorbing it. We are being reduced to being consumers, people who buy, people who perform, people who use objects, if you like. We are being reduced down to that. That's what we are seen as. We are literally just resources in order to get something from, give something to do at a price, or provide a resource or a a service to. That's our cultural narrative in the West, one section of it. And it actually starts changing who we are. It's contagious. It's intoxicating because not only do we feel that we're being reduced down, we start seeing other people as just consumers, people who will buy something from us, something that somebody can provide something to us, a service that we need. So it's intoxicating. It's contagious. We start seeing others in the same way, and we start seeing ourselves in the same way. We start seeing ourselves as people who are just all about what can I get next. It's intoxicating. It's our cultural narrative. The interesting thing is, though, as a pastor, and I've said this many times from this pulpit, I do not need to stand here and convince you of another world. Because deep down inside, we sense something so profoundly 
that we actually revolt against the idea of being a consumer. Even at the, as we are partaking in it, we kind of debunk it. There's this innate feeling that this isn't the way things should be. Where does that come from? Evolution has no answer to that. That feeling of more, that feeling that, that being treated as an, as an object creates kind of life leakage. We just feel like our life is leaking out. It just seems to be, where is it going? I'm 49 in a couple of weeks' time. For those of you who want a specific date, then you can see me later. I'm 49. I, I'm knocking on the door of 50. Here's what I've noticed. And, and my good friend Lyndon did this the other day to me. He, he said, uh, well, you know, you're... Uh, you're, you're, you're in your, your 50s now, or you're, and he kind of stumbled, because obviously my face dropped. And no, I'm not in my 50s. I'm 49, but there's just this feeling of, yeah, ship sailed, mate. Nothing wrong with being in your 50s. I'm looking forward to it. So there. And you should know, because you've been there a long time, right, Lyndon? I can only say, because he's a Brit, and he's a very good friend, so no emails. If you do have emails to complain, please address them to L. Thomas at... <laughs> but as I get older, you just feel like, I want to make sure that my life means something. And it does, that's not age-specific. You can be young and feel like there has to be more to life than scrolling through TikTok for hours at a time. Some of you go, is that even possible? Others of you go, yeah, that's possible. Life leaks as we're being treated as objects. This profound sense of something more to be enjoyed. To whom do you go? This profound sense that there's a beyond. That life extends beyond what I'm feeling and experiencing and chasing after. And we're acutely aware of the absence of this thing. We're acutely aware of it because it increases the pursuit of searching for it. We pursue this something else, this feeling of more, this beyond. We pursue it constantly and we fill it and we go, well, maybe it's my next piece of artwork. And I love art. I find a lot of enjoyment from doing art and enjoying art. But I am not going to find my sense of more in it. Other people chase after music or wealth or activity or leisure or the, a steeper white hill. Maybe at the bottom of this hill, maybe at the end of this car drive, maybe at the end of this purchase, I'm going to start actually filling this void in my life where I feel like life is leaking. One of the most dangerous things to do is grasp at somebody else to stop that feeling of emptiness. Because it puts such a lot of responsibility on that other person and they will never be able to fulfill that which you are ultimately seeking for. C.S. Lewis put it beautifully. They, he said this, For they are not the thing itself, these different activities, these different aspects of life that we chase after. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. This sense of feeling like I can hear a dim and distant tune, but I can't quite get at it. And we can do that. That activity can be good activity. It can be wonderful. It can be Christian it can be godly, it can be socially aware, it can be charity, it can be whatever those different things are. But all the time feeling that I'm not quite tuned in yet. An echo that there is always more. 
that ultimately results in an unsatisfied pursuit. Something past what my life will give me. Something past what my job will provide for me. Something past what my bank account tells me. Something past what I feel. Something past what other people think and feel about you. There's something more to be had. Something beyond. Something beyond counselors, doctors, self-help gurus, whatever it might be. Something beyond that self-medication of choice. Whether it be something you look on the internet or something that you drink or take or whatever pursuit. That self-medication, all with the hope of that sense, that echo, that you would be able to tune into the beautiful music that you know is out there but you can't quite get at. Now, this is not a tension that is just for those who confess that they don't follow Jesus. This is very much a tension for people who also follow Jesus. It's something we have in common. Thankfully, there's another narrative, the biblical narrative. So we have a cultural narrative that says you are an object, you are a consumer, you are there to buy, you are there to, uh, to be bought, you are there to just, just be a resource. And then you have this biblical narrative that says actually no. The biblical narrative gives this amazingly powerful antidote to being reduced down to an object. And by the way, depending on your belief system, an accident that is an object just some kind of morphing together of cells over billions of years. You are just an accident. Oh, and by the way, you're also an object. Well, thanks very much. That's, that's amazing. The biblical narrative, though, is so much more profound and provides a beautiful antidote to being pulled down to a life-reducing object. See, the biblical narrative tells you that we are one-of-a-kind creatures. The Imago Dei. That we've been created the image of God himself. Imago Dei. Image, Dei, God. Imago Dei. That it gives worth to life. Dignity to life. Which is upon this basis that we stand when we talk about being pro-life. Because we believe human life has dignity and worth. No matter how far they might be away from Jesus. How far they might be away from you. That there is something in them. A fingerprint of God, if you will. That says, I am worth something. I have dignity. Broken, yes. Sinful, yes. But still having the fingerprint of God upon their life. That we are God created. That we are God sustained. That God, the scripture says, holds this planet together. I am itching to preach about the uh, fine-tuned philosophy around the universe. I've been reading this book. Uh, I can put it on the reading list. It's absolutely fascinating. The last 10 years, the evidence has just increased, just profoundly increased in the science world that there is a designer. It's amazing what's going on in our science world right now. That the idea that God sustains everything, created everything, and we are God-blessed. Because what this does is it elevates us. It elevates us from being people who are objects and being reduced to be people who can enjoy their true identity and purpose. And what that means, friend, is regardless of the circumstances, the pandemic, the society, the cultural narrative that is going on around you, what people think, what people say, what people do to you or around you, that you can stand secure on a true narrative that says, actually, you've been created to be above that. Not in a prideful way, actually in an opposite 
perfect way, humbling ourselves before the God who sustains, the God who is creator, the God who is all-powerful. It's an amazing antidote. And you can first see it in Genesis chapter 2, where God literally breathes life into mankind. His spirit. Echoed again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where it says that anyone who is with him becomes, quote, one spirit with him. And all through Scripture, there's this amazing picture of God's breath, his wind, his spirit being given to us. God's living presence satisfying that desire for more. So friend, I have to ask again, to whom do you go? Do you go to the God who is sustainer? Do you go to the God who is creator? Do you go to the God who blesses? Do you go to the God that promises to breathe his life into your life so that you can live a blessed life, a sustained life? Or do you go to the myriad of other activities in the hope that you will be the first in all history that finds true worth, purpose, identity, security, sustenance in a flick up or a flit right. To whom do you go? To whom do you go? That this God's living presence is so satisfying that it is referred to in Acts as the way. I preached about this a few months ago. The term Christian was actually, first of all, a derogatory term. Not used by Christians but used by people who had no way of actually being able to uh, categorize this strange group of people that was emerging in the early years after Jesus' resurrection. So we'll just call them Christians because they're Christians. We need a category. What actually we refer to ourselves as, and you can see this in the writings of Luke and in Acts, and Paul refers to it at the back end of Acts, is people of the way. I like that. This is the way. Echoing Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. People of the way. People who are blessed. To whom do you go? See, this is the way that the world was created to be. And so when we become Christians, it's not just an immediate ticket to heaven. What it is, is now we have the opportunity to join in with the work of God, to take the way, his kingdom, out into the world and show other people this is the way that life truly was meant and designed to be. That we'd be immediately disruptive, what we were created for. So again, friends, to whom do you go? Nothing wrong with work, nothing wrong with bank accounts, nothing wrong with leisure, nothing wrong with all those beautiful activities that we fill our lives in and actually find great joy in. Nothing wrong with that. But if it is that to which you go, you are missing out. You will only ever hear an echo of a tune or news from a far-off land that you have never visited. And maybe that's your experience when you come to church. It's like hearing news of this beautiful country that people around you seem to be enjoying on a daily basis, and you know exists, but you've never been able to get there yourself. Well, the good news is, the pursuit of more is satisfied by an inner presence of God through Jesus. Jesus makes this intangible sense of the presence of God evidence in our life. He makes it tangible. 
Eugene Peterson said this, Jesus is the central and defining figure in the spiritual life. Jesus makes God's daily presence accessible. He takes us from being outsiders and makes us insiders through the cross. It would be a really interesting term to actually, maybe that's a great name for a church, the insiders. That would be popular, wouldn't it? Especially in our culture. Mm-hmm. No. But Jesus makes us the come in. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. Come and I will atone. And I will make you and God one again, like we were first created to be in Genesis. That we will actually have relationship and intimacy with God because Jesus paid the price on the cross to enable us to have that closeness with him again. So he could be our sustainer, that he could be our provider, that we could actually become part of the way, that we can be on the inside. That Jesus took the price that I truly should pay for all the things that I have said. You know what? I can find life in this. Thank you very much. I don't need your help, God. I have more than enough in me all the time knowing that I don't. Jesus pays the price for that insolence and pride. That Jesus says, come to me even today and you too can experience that sense of more. But suddenly... It is no longer news of a far-off country. You are citizens of that far-off country. That you can live out that country's citizenship today. That no longer is it just an echo of far-off tune, but actually it's a tune by which you can dance with. We don't do that, we're Mennonites. Gently rock to. That we can enjoy that music in all its clarity every day. Come to me. He says, to whom should you go? To whom do you go? As Peter said, to whom shall we go? There is nothing else that I can find in all my life that even comes close to the beauty and to the sense of ultimate that I find in God the creator, God the sustainer, and God the blesser. Because that is what I've been created to be. I have not been created just to be a dad or a husband or a pastor or any of the other activities I can feel. I have been created ultimately to be a child of God. A life filled with God's Spirit suddenly becomes possible. Thank you to Jesus. Which is why we take communion. And as we read the Gospels, what we actually see as we go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially John, you see a richness of character and a person called Jesus that actually shows what God's goodness and power and accessibility is like. Everything we need to know about Jesus is in those four books. If you want to camp out anywhere in the Scriptures, camp out in those four books. Because in those four Gospels, in those four stories that tell us about what Jesus did and how he acted and what he said, what we see is that God's character, God's God's human face comes to life and comes into the open. It's amazing. And the resounding call all the way through it is to say, come follow me. Come follow me. Come follow me. I've said this before. One of the writers that I really enjoy, Dallas Willard, talks about this word apprenticeship. 
and I taught about a year ago on what it means to be a disciple, and, and that's what Jesus said, come and be my disciples. That word disciple is a pretty alien word for us in our culture because we don't call disciples to ourselves, um, nor do we really hope that our children become disciples. That would be kind of odd. But what we do is we use the word student, we use the word apprentice quite readily. And apprentice is the closest we can get because it gives this sense of being shoulder to shoulder with a master craftsman. So Jesus is saying, you want to live like me? Then come and share company with me. And you will become like me. You will start sounding like me, which is literally what was happening in those early years when a rabbi called a disciple... The rabbis could actually be identified through their disciples because the disciples, their apprentices, spent so much time with them that they could actually start sounding like them and walking like them and and acting like them and reacting like them, that they really truly did become almost clones. Don't carry that analogy on with Jesus. It's a bad analogy. But you could actually start going, oh, I can see which rabbi you follow because you walk the same way as him. Jesus says, come follow me. Come be my apprentice. Come keep company with me. I like that. Keep company with Jesus. So keeping company with Jesus enables us to live contrary to the pull of the cultural narrative that is constantly trying to reduce you down to an object, to a thing, to an accidental thing. That the only way you can find a place is by becoming more influential, by becoming more wealthy. Because by doing so, what you're able to do is dictate what other people buy and what other people follow. You truly will be the pinnacle of what we want you to be in our cultural narrative, if you follow that. While all the time feeling like you're empty, while all the time feeling like there's more, while all the time feeling the echo and hearing the echo and chasing after more and more, while all the time stumbling and never finding it. And Jesus comes into the picture and says, no, I am the more. I am the way. Come follow me, and in that you will be atoned with, brought together with the God who sustains, the creator, the blesser. And in that you will find purpose. In that you will be able to live the life of more and life and life more abundantly in him. By keeping company with Jesus, it satiates our need for more. But it does force the question. Let me read you the passage that we heard when we first started the message this morning. And maybe you want to close your eyes. And as you do so, just like when you do your Bible reading, it might be that a word pops out into your mind and you might want to dwell upon that and maybe journal around it. But let me just read you the short passage. The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, says Jesus, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You don't want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So that's where the question comes. As we look into the next few weeks, to whom do we go? On a habitual basis, to whom do we go? Because we do have a choice. On one hand, we can choose to apprentice and follow Jesus and press further into the biblical narrative that says that you were created for more than everything the culture says. But on the other hand, the to whom should you go can be answered by going the other way that is saying, actually, I'm going to press more into the cultural narrative. And you might do a fantastic job of convincing yourself that by pressing more into that way, you're going to have more effect that way. That is a lie. That the more money I can make, the more influence I have, the more attention I can give. You know, I I love doing this activity because it gives me the opportunity to share Jesus with people that I'm never going to share Jesus with. I I can do more going this way because actually what it actually is saying is this way gives me control. That way I don't know where it ends. But Jesus said, look, the deal is never that you know where it ends. Ultimately, you become more like Jesus. But the to whom shall we go is a a daily decision. And it hinges, and this is where, by the way, all that was just a big introduction to this, this coming three weeks. Is looking at your daily practices, habits, liturgy if you want to make it religious. Your, your daily, this is what I do. From the second your eyes, crusty as they may be, open up in the morning... From the second you fall asleep at night, what are the habits and the practices and the liturgies that you fill your life with? Because what they do, not to me, because I'm not going to ask you to share it with me, but to yourself, it will indicate which direction you're heading in. To whom should you go? Is your life oriented towards apprenticing Jesus and ultimately freedom? Or is it oriented towards apprenticing the cultural narrative that ultimately leads to death? If not death eventually, and it will, but death internally. Our practices and habits are the access point where God's breath flows into our lives. Sacred places, if you like. What we place our attention on, what we pursue, what we abide in, what we spend most of our attention on, what we spend most of our money on, what we do on a regular basis. So the pursuit of more is satisfied by an inner presence of God through Jesus. But the creation of these places in life where we're actually putting time aside, sacred places if you like, where we go, I am going to be consciously coming shoulder to shoulder with my Lord to learn from Him, to listen to Him, to pray to Him, to learn more about Him, to meditate upon the Scriptures. These sacred places are going to be bolstered by some of the very simple practices that we're going to share with you over the next three weeks. We've only got three weeks, and so we can only look at a few. And these practices can all be found in the life of Jesus. Next week, I'm going to be talking about rest and Sabbath. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss it. It's a beautiful, sacred place that we can carve into the busyness of our lives that orient ourselves towards following Jesus. Yeah, but Glenn, you don't understand how busy I am. Cultural narrative. So this whole new world, Allah Aladdin, opens up to us and says, 
actually these sacred places, if we can build them into the rhythm of our lives where we can create and enjoy Him more, where else do you turn? Next week, I'm going to talk about Sabbath, rest, and habit stacking. Habit stacking. I'm going to give you some practical advice on how you can build a rhythm into your life that allows for and prioritizes sacred places on a regular basis. But here's your homework. (laughs) You ready? Super simple. I want you to do a habit audit. Become conscious of your daily habits. So tomorrow morning, I'm actually going to be praying this because likely I might be up considerably earlier than some of the younger people in the room, perhaps. I don't know. I tend to get up at about 5 a.m. I'm going to be praying, and I'm going to be asking that God reminds everybody who's hearing these words to become conscious of the habits from the second they wake up. What is it that you immediately do? By show of hands, how many of you reach me for... No, I'm only joking. Reach for a phone cultural narrative. You're just absorbing. You're starting on your 6,000 to 10,000 adverts. You need to get ahead of it. Let's go. Let's get it all done in the five minutes. 10,000 adverts. TikTok. (laughs) What do you do on a daily basis? And just maybe in your moment of quietness in your journaling, as you're becoming aware of this habit audit, that, and I will give you uh, the book this week where this idea of taking a li- a, a, an audit of the liturgies comes from. It's a fantastic book. Um, as you do that, just ask yourself the question, which, which direction does it take you in? Cultural narrative, biblical narrative. Freedom, reduction. And then those of you who have got children, the layer of responsibility is even thicker upon you. Because your children watch your habits and your liturgies and your leanings. They watch the direction in which you go. And they will follow. You have apprentices. So what is your apprenticeship course looking like? (laughs) And you can feel the weight of the importance of making sure that not only for yourself, that ultimately is important that your children see that you love Jesus more than anything else, not just with your lips but by your actions as well. Do they see you reading the Bible? Do they see you praying? Do they see you making decisions that are towards apprenticeship, not towards the cultural narrative? Do they see you making decisions with the way that you use your money that makes them realize, actually, they have a greater God and it's not called dollar? How you see, how you uh, are with, with your neighbors. Well, I hate my neighbor. I don't, by the way, if you're listening. Dramatic. That's okay. <laughs> do you hate them? You don't understand how bad my neighbors are. Great, you've now got a project. How, how do your children see that? It starts with you becoming conscious of your habits and your liturgy on a daily basis. And then next week, we'll jump into habit stacking, Sabbath, and rest. So please come out for that. Watch online. I'm really excited to, uh, to talk to you about that. And then the following week, we're looking at scripture and meditation and how we build that into our uh, daily practices and our habits. And then uh, in a couple of weeks, we're actually jumping into the life of David. So some really great teaching coming your way. And we're really excited to launch this week, uh, this year by doing that. So why don't we pray together? We're going to sing, and um, I'm going to pray blessing upon you, and I'm going to pray this word of God just 
just saturates your thoughts and souls. Maybe some of you might want to watch this again online. And then, as I said, keep an eye out for the, uh, the book list that we're, uh, that we're going to be sharing with you. And product placement, my daughter got me a Yeti mug. Yes, that's Yeti. Um, and, uh, and the coffee is still hot, love. It works well. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Let's bless the Lord. He is so good. He's our sustainer. As we're going to sing now, he's our living hope. Praise God. Father, we thank you that you have designed and created us with this innate desire to pursue you. And Lord, it's my prayer today and for the coming weeks and for the rest of this year that, Lord, we would be people of the way. That, Lord, we would pursue companionship with you. That, Lord, we would want to come alongside you and learn from you. Lord, I pray that there'd be people in my hearing now, whether it be online or in the room, that, Father, they're feeling the, the excitement, Lord, the excitement of being able to get together with you, changing their habits, changing their liturgy, so that, Lord, they create places and spaces where they can come to know you. Forgive us, Lord, for dumbing ourselves down to believing that we could ever be satisfied with anything less than you, God. Jesus, thank you that you make all this possible. Thank you, Jesus, for the promise that in you, we can find true life. In you, we can find forgiveness. In you, Lord, in you, Lord, we can be reconciled back to the way that you first created us to be. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you, Lord, for everybody who faithfully engages. Lord, bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.